0: So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, FemRegard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network.
1: Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan.
0: So come join the fem fam and give us a listen every Friday streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course the geekscape network.
2: Hey, horror movie night. We are back with another bonus episode. Uh, I am fresh from the pop rock and horror con. And the first thing I did was I sat down and I watched the movie recovery. And now I am sitting with director John Liang, um, Sitting in the sense that he's on the phone with me, uh, so John, <laughs> what was the I'm ins- at. what was the inspiration for recovery?
3: Well, um, my co-writer and I wanted to do a film that tackled the opioid crisis in America. and we wanted to do something that was more. Well, entertaining and and subversive. Um, That's a straightforward, earnest, you know, drama about someone struggling with opioid addiction. And we bounced around some ideas and we had been interested in writing a horror movie for a while. And we thought, you know, what if we did a psychological thriller about someone struggling with not only addiction but withdrawal, um, really a a horror movie where uh, yes, there is a murderer, but really the the real monster is addiction, and so that's where the uh, that's the core of the where the core germ of the idea came from.
2: And I, if you don't mind me asking, and I only ask this because I have family members that have gone through their own struggles with addiction, and there's so much of this movie that does feel personal. Uh, was there any real life experiences that you were pulling from either yourself or family members with how you did the the recovery center? Uh,
3: yes. Um, my mother um, struggled with opioid addiction for a very long time, and she never went to an inpatient rehab, but she had um, problems with both benzodiazepines and opioids, and fought very hard against that addiction. Um, Mercifully, she eventually did get clean, and sober um and a lot but it was a very difficult battle for her for me for our whole family and um a lot of the experience uh that I had with her on on her journey to sobriety uh was is reflected in the in the final film she actually She did get clean, and she actually passed away from unrelated health problems um, right before we went into production, about four months before we started shooting. She passed away, and so this film is dedicated uh, to her memory. Well,
2: I'm sorry to hear about that, but I will say it's not a secret. It's not a secret on the show that my brother, who's my co-host on the main show, Struggled with doxy cotton for years. He just recently celebrated six years of sobriety, uh, so I'm very proud of him for Congratulations that. Congratulations to him. But there was there was moments where I was like, "Yep, I remember that." Like you, you really do capture uh, some of those struggles with withdrawal very honestly throughout. So I do applaud you for not shying away from some of the dark things that happen when someone's going through that.
3: Well, thank you, Matt. I I really appreciate that. I'm very happy for, for your brother, for his, uh, anniversary. And I appreciate your saying that because, you know, we really tried, um, the team and I tried very, very hard to honestly and unflinchingly depict addiction and withdrawal in this film and, uh, through our, through our main character, Ronnie.
2: There's a point in the movie also where one of the main characters really kind of says a lot about how we treat our vets. And and that felt to me very much like you were, uh, as a writer, venting about another very serious issue that happens here in the United States. Was that also pulling from any personal stuff, or is that just a thing that you see in the news that just really kind of grinds your gears on a regular basis?
3: It's both. It's both. Um, my mother's dad, my maternal grandfather was a world war two veteran and he, um, fought in the European theater and was at all the big ticket like events. You know, he stormed the beaches of Normandy and actually helped in the liberation of Dachau and, When he came home, you know, my mom told me that he was a hero. He was treated with honor and dignity and, you know, mercifully, if he had any, um, you know, back then they called it combat shock, but if he had any PTSD or anything of that sort, I mean, he kept it to himself. I just don't think he had any, but it was a different time. And now, you know, we are embroiled in, two wars you just never hear about anymore, and it's really that lack of coverage um, that offends me, and people, politicians on both sides of the aisle love to talk up and trot out the troops almost as a prop when they want to gin up um, support, but then You know, after the flags and the rallies and the marches, you know, I I read a lot about both Iraq and Afghanistan vets who come home and they just can't get the right support. And it really is something that I contrast with my grandfather's experience when he came back and, you know, everybody loved him and loved his friends. You know, thank you for your service. But now it's very different. And it really does upset me. And that was another uh, issue that my uh, my team and I wanted to tackle in this film is just how, you know, everybody's there when it's time to send our young men and women off to war. But, you know, who's there waiting for them when they get home?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, earlier in the interview, you had mentioned that you'd always kind of want it to make a horror movie and that kind of bled into all the other things that you wanted to do with recovery. What are some of the horror mm-hmm. movies that really inspired you to want to pursue horror as like a genre?
3: Well, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. Um, so growing up in the eighties, you know, a uh, big fan of the thing Halloween. Um, they live. Um, Obviously, all the all of his classics and *The uh, Shining* was a big influence as well. I mean, obviously, we made a movie about characters trapped in a blizzard, uh, isolated, cut off. So, in d- addition to *The Thing*, you got Kubrick's *The Shining*, which actually, um, you know, it's not all. My mom also was a huge *Shining* fan, so she and I she introduced me to *The Shining*, and we watched it together when I was growing up. And so that was a big influence um and really i gotta say just we're in this incredible to be a little more current we're in this incredible period where there are just we're in a horror renaissance right now like three of my favorite films in the last few years um you know one obviously the babadook and two it follows everyone loves those but i also want to mention this there's um there's that movie Starry Eyes that Colch um, and the Pet Cemetery guys yeah, made. Yeah, that movie. Um,
2: that movie was so good, and it just kind of like vanished from everyone's feed when the while the Babadook you know what? And it follows really got a big mainstream spotlight on it.
3: It's just that it's just um, it came out right between the two of them. I think I think it's right before it follows, and right after the Babadook, and it sort of I think just got you know, lost in the shuffle, but that, um, was a big, like, Oh my God, this is really special. This is something incredible. And that movie really has stuck with me. I, I need to revisit it, but it's one of those things where it's like, I love this. It's great, but it's also so messed up. I don't know if I can ever watch it again.
2: Yeah. No. And I think that that's, that's the same way I felt about something like hereditary where I walked away from it and thought like, well, that's yeah. a masterpiece that I'm never going to watch again. Uh, I just think that we're in a really cool state right now where horror is probably more politically and socially aware than it's been since, like, the 70s and early 80s, which is really, really Exactly, cool.
3: exactly. And, um, and one other thing that really, um, not a film, but a big influence and inspiration was um, Brian Fuller's uh, Hannibal television series from uh, about... A few years ago, from I
2: think 2013. Yeah, Brian uh, Fuller's. A, I feel like such an underrated showrunner in general. Every show he does oh yeah, is just yeah. a masterpiece. But yeah, Hannibal was great. Great, right.
3: <laughs> and Hannibal was a big influence too.
2: I can kind of see all of that, and and I like what you did with this as well because it's it's all of. The, I see the Shining influence. I see the thing influence, and at the same time, it is a pseudo slasher. I wouldn't call it a full out slasher, but there's definitely a slasher influence mixed in there as well. Thank you. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, because I know the interview is getting close to where we got to wrap it up, but favorite slasher movie.
3: Oh boy. Um, You know, um, can I say I might be, can I say Psycho?
2: I think that's fair. It's I consider it a slasher. I think that and Peeping Tom really are like the the golden age of slasher. Well, I guess not golden age. They're, oh, They're the star of the genre.
3: <laughs> I love Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom is great.
2: So under – it, it suffers from coming out just before Psycho. It, it's so yeah. not treated with the respect it deserves.
3: It's too, yeah, it just got buried. But I would say Psycho because Anthony Perkins is incredible. And I would also just say, um, you know, 60 years before Game of Thrones, like here's a movie with the uh, boldness to kill off the main character half an hour in. You yeah. Know, who does that?
2: Yeah, that. I mean, that was, I can't think of anything else that even come close to that. Like the only thing that I could think of would be like a sunset boulevard that introduces your main character dead right out the gate. But it, exactly. there's nothing I can think of where you get attached to a character for 30 minutes and then they just kill them before that. Exactly.
3: You know, it's never been done.
2: So, as we're wrapping up, where can people check out the movie? Where can people stay up to date with what you've got going on uh, currently and in the future?
3: Uh, the movie is going to be released on June 4th on streaming... Um, ViewDo, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Video, um, and a whole host of other streaming platforms. It's also going to be on DVD at Walmart and other big box chains throughout uh, North America. So that's the U.S. and Canada. And then the best place to follow me is I'm on Instagram as, all one word, John Lang is evil.
2: (laughs) Great handle. (laughs) Thank you. Uh Well, thank you, John, for joining us. Guys, go and check out Recovery. It is available literally when you're listening to this on your feed. You can get it somewhere. So go check it out. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for your time. No problem. Hey, guys, so we Hit just me. finished our conversation with John, and now we are actually honored to also have the star of Recovery, Stephanie Pearson. Stephanie, thank you so much for calling in and joining us on this bonus episode of the show.
4: Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I like hearing that.
2: well and i know that you were a child at the time but i do have to also applaud you for you know first credit being kiss kiss bang bang is pretty solid that's an amazing movie one of my top 10 favorites so i do want to give you some kudos right out the gate for that
4: oh thank you so much yeah um i did a bunch of um uh, commercial work and stuff when i was a kid so that was my first um film project but um i kind of grew up in the industry my dad was a commercial director my mom was a stylist so stepping into that role um was really comfortable just because i was used to it um but yeah you know i i have that on my resume and people either say oh my god i love that film you know cult classics or they're like that's not a porno is it
2: (laughs) it definitely has one of those names where i'm always like slightly shameful when i suggest it to someone because i feel like i have to elaborate on what it is um all (laughs) right but recovery watched it last night and I have to give you such a huge applause for just the the range that you show in the character of Ronnie um just all the highs and the lows there was never a moment that I didn't completely buy that character so oh thank you do you have what what were some of the inspirations that you were pulling to create and craft that character out
4: um, well, I um, I worked with John a lot to create a really um, big storied backstory for Ronnie, um, going from uh, just like the relationship she had and her time in Afghanistan and um, really trying to figure out who she was previously in her life, uh, how her um, military status uh, affected her, and then After that, I mean, if you look, there's a like a very quick glimpse or kind of like what her life would have been post rehab and addiction. And um, it's, you know, a stark contrast between like who she was and who she is now. So I really wanted to show that arc and kind of give some of that story in there, even if it was just through, you know, my eyes, my looks or, you know, the little words I was saying.
2: And what was it? I mean, this was a pretty big cast and you all had to kind of work together, were there a lot of friendships that were bonded between you? Or did oh, you yeah. all try to stay away from it so you could stay that anger towards each other?
4: No, no, we, it was, it was very close knit. Um, it actually were, I think maybe only two scenes that the entire cast was all together, maybe one more than that. But um, I mean, we we shot everything kind of um, a bit separately. Um, I was very close almost every day with Hope Trocky. Um, and Isla Kay, and I mean, because there's so much stress, and um, just like emotional depth to a lot of those scenes we were doing, uh, when the camera wasn't rolling, we were like cracking up, we were, you know, we had to let off scenes somehow, so uh, we had a lot of fun on set, and in fact, it was around Halloween time that we were shooting, and um, somebody had like a mask, or like a box with a face on it, <laughs> so we uh, were hiding in the shower in the bathroom and staring people and one of our the PAs stepped in and jumped out of the shower and then this kid's face turned white and he fell backwards knocked over the trash can I was like <laughs> I felt bad um but so we were having a lot of fun on set so the stuff that you were saying on screen
2: <laughs> so have you always been a fan of horror were you looking forward to being in a horror movie
4: um you know when I was younger I wasn't a huge fan um until I started working on horror films and the genre has really grown on me and um, realizing that there are so many sub-genres under the horror umbrella. Um, and it, they ha- horror has such a strong family to it. I mean, if you say, oh yeah, I'm a horror film buff, it's like you automatically know who that person is. Um, so yeah, I definitely have become a big horror fan. Um, I think I've been killed like maybe fifteen times on camera. so <laughs> does that make me a scream queen?
2: i th- I would say so. And that's a I mean, that's a pretty cool bragging right, just to walk around with. I haven't been killed on film once yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i and I think that there is a lot of truth to that. I'm recording this the day after vending at a convention. and you know, that i've I've learned that horror is definitely a community that. You know, once you're in that family, you can't get out of it. They're going to love you for life. So it's a very Mm. good family to be in.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, agreed.
2: So did you pull from a lot of, we were talking to John earlier and we're talking about how a lot of this story in the script pulled from a lot of his personal feelings with addiction and his struggles with his own family members struggling with addiction and and war people going to war were there anything were there any people or things in your life that you were able to pull from or did you do any research at rehab centers to try to really get down to who ronnie was
4: um i didn't pull from anyone in particular um it was more of a melding of um like, research and, um, like, learning more about the, um, opioid crisis that's happening in America right now. Actually, when we were filming and when I first read the script, I was like, wow, this is, you know, really relevant, and here we are two years later, and it's more so, it's even more relevant now, and I really do think that it's going to be our generation's national crisis. I mean, it's, um is something that has affected, you know, uh, people who I know. Um, it probably affects many people, and you probably don't even know it. Yeah. Um, it's like this silent, it's this silent, um, you know, ghost that creeps into, you know, people's lives, um, and it's really easy to keep it under wraps for a long time. And that's something that I uh, wanted to portray in Ronnie was that you know she is tough to the core, and this was one thing that was going to take her down. It wasn't going to be a bullet from an enemy. It wasn't going to be, you know, a, a broken relationship. It was like this one vice. Um, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to bring uh, some of that in there, but a lot of research, mostly research, um, on just like addiction and, um, recovery and what it does physically to you.
2: Well, and I, I told this to John as well, but you really did as someone who, who has family members that struggle, you really did capture it very real. It was a very real depiction of the withdrawal and the, the anger and the bouts of rage and so it was a and it was an intense watch for me because of that.
4: Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And you know, it's it's hard to go home and let that all go. Um, like working on set and especially having to be in that mind state. Um, for a long time. It's like, it's, it's heavy baggage that you go to bed with and you wake up with. So, uh, I'm glad it came across.
2: And was the, I mean, obviously the relevancy is a huge factor, but were there any other things that really drew you to the script? I, I really appreciate that it kind of melds a bunch of different influences into a giant melting pot. I thought that was very interesting how John jumped mm-hmm. at it.
4: Yeah. Um, you know, John uh, has said that um, it, it, he's like I tricked everyone because it's a um, a story with a message, but wrapped in a horror film. You know, it's a story about um, drug addiction and recovery, and it's got you know a heart to it, wrapped in something totally digestible that everybody wants to watch. <laughs> you know, ass kicking rehab for chicks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a, exactly what he did. So, mm-hmm. you, and
4: so, you know what, actually, um, interestingly enough, um, I did not know that uh, John had family members who struggled with addiction until um, very recently. Um, and he was like, you know, it wasn't something that I was able to talk about at the time while we were working on it. But I think that his personal story came through on paper magically, um, you because know, it was so personal to him.
2: And I think that you sometimes when you're writing, you need at least something. Like that you know I, I don't know how people can write when they don't have at least something that they're pulling out of their own personal life as at least a starting point to the fantasy,
4: yeah, absolutely,
2: so you said that it it wasn't until you started acting in movies that you got a little into the more of the horror stuff. do you have a favorite horror movie as of yet or are you still kind of figuring that out ooh um <laughs>
4: The jury's out for me, um, but I am kind of a fan of just like good storytelling and like that as an actor, what I want to do is um, tell a good story. So anything that's kind of got um, like melds the genres or um, is not just full splatter all the time, uh, <laughs> is I'm a fan of. And, and look, I'll, I'll watch anything. So
2: I'm <laughs> into it. So... Now that recovery's out, it's available on streaming as of the time that people are listening to this interview. Uh, what is next on the horizon? Do you have other projects lined up? Anything that you're able to talk about at this time?
4: Um, yeah, so I have a um, low burn thriller called Psychosynthesis that is coming out uh, at the end of this year um, about a woman who gets a heart transplant and then starts taking on the characteristics of this donor. Um, in a bit of a sinister way. So, for the horror, the horror fans out there, I think they like this one.
2: Ooh, I'm kind of excited um, to uh, yeah, see that one.
4: <laughs> yeah. I think I think you like it completely different than than recovery, but like that same intensity.
2: Nice. Very, very cool.
4: In contrast, um, Recovered, we did so much action work. Um, we trained and trained and on set every day, you know, getting our asses kicked. And then to go to another project that was extremely sedentary. Um, this character literally half the time was, like, in a hospital robe. Um, very, you know, very fun to do both.
2: And I I could see needing to step just just a slight baby step back from Intensity after Recovery because it is... Very uh, unforgiving. <laughs>
4: and, it's a me step backwards, right?
2: Yeah, just a, just the teeniest, tiniest step back. Um, where can people go to follow when these other projects are going to be done, and and just follow your career in general?
4: Um, for myself, um, you mean like social media wise? Yeah, or, where
2: where can um, people stay up to date with what's going on with Stephanie?
4: Oh sure, yeah. So my um, Instagram and social media and Twitter is at Steph underscore Pears, like the fruit and like the first letters of my last name. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, and you know, hopefully those films will be coming out this year. I actually have a short film that I am. I'm in New York for right now. uh, That's screening tomorrow here at the Brooklyn Film Festival. Um, Another like drug related um, drug addled party teenager. Like how? Why does everyone want to? Put me on drugs and kill me. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, but so I'm so that so that is um, premiering tomorrow. Um, I'm super excited. Actually, the same day for recovery. It's a busy week for me. Um, and then I have another movie coming out probably next year. Um, we just finished shooting that one, um, and that one is called The Sleep. Um, again, another horror film.
2: All right. Well, make sure that you go and follow yeah, Steph yeah. Pears and find out when all of these things are coming up because it sounds like you've got a very active career and next thing, you know, we'll be seeing you at some of the conventions.
4: Oh yeah. I'd love to. Um, And it sounds like hopefully I'll be speaking to you again soon about some of these projects.
2: (laughs) Hopefully. So until next time, have a great one, Steph. Thank you. You too.
1: Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan.
0: And I'm Tessa, and together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Femme Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network.
1: Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan.